building better relationships at home and at work for people who have more than enough on their plate. Two coaches dangling the possibility of finding joy in your relationships. Do you dare to consider life can be better? Have a listen and tell us why. In today's podcast episode, Angela and Patty discuss how to deal with negative emotions and energy, whether in the workplace or in your personal life. Yes, and for some of us, the workplace has started to be in the home environment, a <laughs> <Yeah>. conflagration <laughs> of home and work. So some of you may notice how you bring the energy of work into your home and how you can't work at home. Or you may notice how the energy of your home is not good for the work that you do. So these negative emotions about work and home are important for all of us to pay attention to at the moment because it's the relationships we have that determine how we're happy in life. Life is relationships. That's why Patty and I are so passionate about building better relationships at work and at home, because we both know how important the quality of relationships are to making life purposeful, meaningful and joyful and worth living. Being negative is easy. Everyone is doing it. How does it affect you in your career and personal life? You may lose a promotion or worse yet, all relationships by being a constant complainer, talking bad about others, when displaying anger and hostility or a victim mentality. I've heard some people say that being positive all the time is toxic. Why do you think that is? Perhaps they see people being falsely positive without dealing with the underlying issues that are creating imbalance in the workplace or the home. And if we don't face the real issues of sadness, anger, fear that go unaddressed, then people being positive is kind of annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And some people are fearful of positive energy for the fear that they can't ever be happy or they don't deserve to be happy. When you're addicted to suffering, it's very hard to enjoy someone's happiness. And from the beginning of humanity, people have had jealousy when they think they can't have what other people have. So if you see someone too happy, it can actually be a trigger from ancient fears that somehow you're missing out. I agree, Angela. People also compare themselves to others and dwell on their lack of abundance or what others have. However, not knowing what that person had to do to get it. (laughs) Yeah. In these times, people are also trying to be nice to avoid discussions where they might be bringing up conflict. Uh, But sometimes you have to address the underlying problems where we may not understand each other or some people feel left out and ignored, misunderstood, they're not heard, they're not accepted for being who they are. And positivity or being nice may not be able to address the deeper divisions that people have based on resentment. 
Another thing, Angela, is sometimes people take it wrong when you are a nice person. They think that you're interested in them in a way that you're not. There has been research on plants that speaking kind words, the plant will thrive. And when talking negative to the plant, they will die. So that's a good reflection on how we are to each other. When you speak bad to somebody or mean to somebody, you're slowly killing them inside. If it can do this to plants, what makes you think it can't do that to people? Cruel words hurt the soul and emotionally destroy people. The suicide rate is up and all you hear on the news is doom and gloom. Bullying is a factor with people being desperate and suicidal. How do we change these situations from toxic to kindness? What if people stopped watching the news? What if people smiled more? What about looking at the good in others and appreciating each other? Do you think things would change for the better? I'm not saying look past the wrong. Things need to be addressed and punishment does need to happen when you break the law. Consequences for your actions should be enforced and learned from them. We all make mistakes. This is how we learn and become a better person and have empathy for each other. And how you grow in empathy is it's happened to you. You know what it feels like and you don't want to do it to others. Being around negative energy causes negative emotions to spill out around you. How do you calm those feelings of hurt, anger, bitterness, disappointment, and unforgiveness towards others you feel have stabbed you in the back? It is easy to get sucked into other people's crap. (laughs) Toxic people want to drag everyone down with them. So how can we go from a negative-filled environment, a calm and peaceful existence? Angela, you have told me many times it's okay to show your emotions, to feel them and release them. How do you do that without taking it out on the other person or projecting those emotions on them? Have you heard of Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence? I've heard of emotional intelligence, but I didn't know the name of the author. So I haven't read it myself. (laughs) Yeah, it's from 1995. And Daniel Goleman popularized the phrase emotional intelligence which came about from other psychologists in 1990. And so his book in 1995 made that book, the term emotional intelligence, uh, a bestseller (laughs) with his book. (laughs) And then people started to use it. And in his book and his current work, he lays out four parts of managing our emotions. So I'm going to address um, handling the toxic people later. 
but I think the important thing about Daniel Goleman's book and current outgrowth of the four parts of managing our emotions is really important. And we tend to try and want to do everything in one, <laughs> but there's actually four areas that Daniel's work outlines and they're both, they're all really important to managing um, your emotions so you don't take them out on others. So the four areas are one, self-awareness of your emotions, two, managing your emotions, three, awareness of social relationships, and four, management of those relationships. So Daniel Goleman's current work is more in the three and four parts. So he works a lot with Fortune 500 companies, leadership, emotional intelligence in corporations. And we can learn a lot now about relationships in corporations because <laughs> people are angry at corporations. Why is that? Because there's something happening in our world that we need to change about our relationships, how we treat people. And corporations are a, a sort of big example of how humans are not being treated in the way that we want, but we've created these systems that treat humans like robots. And then the robots are now developing to be better than humans at doing things. So we're having problems with the systems that we've created because it's not really clear what the role of humans are. And our emotional intelligence is probably the issue. <laughs> it's not really that good. <laughs> okay. So Daniel Goleman's not the first person to talk about this. Jesus talks about it. Many spiritual teachers, in fact, all spiritual teachers, talk about self-awareness of your emotions, managing your emotions, awareness of social relationships, and managing those social relationships. So most people in the spiritual teachings talk about how to understand yourself first you got to understand yourself first, how you feel, and then you can grow empathy like you were saying, Patty. You grow empathy by understanding yourself mm -hmm. first and how it feels for you. And then you can understand your relationships and how to express emotions positively. So most of the time we just express ourselves without stopping to think about what we're saying. And we're pretty unconscious about how we're feeling most of the time <laughs> okay so emotional intelligence is about bringing consciousness to how you're feeling and that's a process it's a process that you can learn and that's what Daniel Goleman teaches there's a lot of emotional intelligence coaches out there and you can actually become an emotional intelligence coach uh, coach Cheryl actually is an emotional intelligence coach Patty oh I so didn't know I that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Co and Coach Cheryl is both mine and Angela's business coach. Yeah, and uh, she also she also does a training. I yes, think, for she was our teacher. Yeah, in coaching. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to ask Cheryl about that actually, so we can share that with people. So 
So from my background, I'm more of an emotional management teacher. And some of the tips that I use based on Daniel's areas of um, four areas are, say, for area one, how do you get self-awareness of your emotions? My tip is take time, any time in your day, in your week, uh, any time. I don't care when you do it. Just any time is good. And you can make it a regular time. I do it in the morning when I wake up and I do it throughout the day. Any time to notice how you are feeling and how your behavior is. We used to do this in dance class. We would do a movement and we would notice. So anytime you do it, it's a great practice. And once you start a daily practice, you start to learn about your emotions. Notice how you're feeling in your body. Anger, repressed emotions will express non-verbally, like a sense of irritation, tiredness. You could be mildly anxious. That's me on edge. <laughs> I get that as a, a kind of flare up and then I pay attention. Or just notice your general behavior. Are you chaotic or relaxed or somewhere in that spectrum? And you can ask yourself, what am I feeling? So this will help you do the first step of Daniel Goleman's, which is self-awareness of your emotion. Now for step two of managing your emotions, this takes more regular habit building. Once you notice you're often in a certain emotion, for example, you may be crabby in certain situations and you've asked yourself, what am I feeling? And you've got some awareness of what you're feeling. It's, it's easy to justify that you're crabby, right? <laughs> I'm justified to feel crabby. My partner did this and so I'm crabby. So I ask this question, what do I need to help me? What do I need to help me right now? Okay, so it's instead of just saying I'm right to be angry, <laughs> I'll ask myself, uh, what do I need? Now, if it's chocolate or alcohol, that's not always the best habit, but it can help, right? Sometimes I might have used chocolate. But what could be a better way to help yourself? We use relationships to help us all the time. Sometimes telling someone that you're worried, asking a friend to help you, that's a good way to manage or if you're afraid to talk about your emotion for fear you'll be judged, then you may need to see that, oh, I'm too scared to ask my friend for help. So if you're angry and you talk and things get out of control, then maybe you need a habit where you get to the root of the anger. I grew up with a lot of angry people and they got used to just venting their anger and the rest of us used to be pretty in our rooms a lot because we're avoiding their anger. <laughs> so that habit of expressing anger is not always the best. You need to get to the root. Often anger is based on a fear that you will be overpowered and you'll be out of control. I know my parents had that. So you can't really manage your anger until you see the source of the fear that powers the anger. So talking to you about your feelings can help you get to this source. Patty and I, as coaches, that's what we do. We help you get to the source of these emotions that are overpowering. So another way to manage emotions is to know that they are here to get your attention, that something's not right. But that doesn't mean someone else is wrong. 
okay? Too often in our world, Patty, I think the problem we have now is that if we have emotions, we start blaming someone. Emotion is a sign that something needs your awareness. So a general question I ask myself when emotion is high is, what is this emotion asking me to see? What is this emotion asking me to see? If you ask and you get an emotional answer, that person is annoying me. That's your emotional brain telling you there is a danger. Okay, our emotional brain is wired to pick up danger. The problem is we often, when we blame other people, we're not getting to the source of what's going to help us. We're just going into blame and circuits of the emotional brain that connect us to fear. So in an emergency or to attend to a physical danger, that's useful. But it doesn't help you manage ongoing habits of emotional imbalance. And it doesn't get your needs met. When my parents were yelling and I was a kid, I needed stuff to be done, but I wasn't getting my needs met. I was hiding in my room. So, for example, when I'm anxious, I can be snappy with my partner. First, I have to see that I'm anxious, which I'm pretty good at now. And then I ask, what is this emotion asking me to see? And sometimes I could be picking up emotions from the area and I could be picking up planetary energies. I'm pretty astral, so I pick up energies from the astrology and the planets. But sometimes it's really basic. The emotion is telling me I need to stop, pay attention to something that's not functioning. Like I could be writing an email and I can't listen to my partner and write the email at the same time. And that's all the emotion is saying. I've got to tell my partner, hang on, I can't talk to you now. Let me write this email. And that's helped my anxiety a lot. Yeah, just communicating that can we talk later will help them having a meltdown. (laughs) Yeah, and my partner now is very respectful or he's just very kind. So naturally, so it's sort of common sense to him. Yeah. But he doesn't always get my body cues because I'm pretty obvious when I'm anxious. I'm like, really focused on the computer I've got computer face we don't have the video with this podcast but I can do a really good computer face it's like and he he takes photos of me too (laughs) to show me computer face and I'm like Hakim when I'm looking like that don't tell me (laughs) to do something for you because I'm in the email or I can't multitask I just give my husband a look and then he knows oh she's busy but sometimes he's the same way he doesn't pick up on it until he's triggered me (laughs) yeah and I I find it funny because it reminds me of how my parents were and my parents quite enjoyed that tit for tat they were punch and judy kind of couple but they liked it and that was sort of their way of joking and a bit of foreplay and I didn't understand any of this tit for tat but it was something that they had in a couple um might be very different in a work environment I think you have to be more proactive I guess and and tactful and tactful that's the word tactful (laughs) (laughs) yes you have to find um 
you're really good at that, Patty, like short phrases to say, excuse me, um, but can I talk to you in, in 10 minutes or um, finding phrases in the workplace to tell people, I can't talk to you now. Yeah. Give me 10 minutes. Yeah, give me 10 minutes or can we schedule this for a different time? Can you go and look at my calendar and 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 calendar me and that way I can spend time with you and actually listen and hear you. Right now I'm I'm doing something that I I I'm in the middle of something that I can't concentrate. Could you please give me 10 minutes or calendar me in after three. Oh, you're so good at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how I talk to my partner. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how we need words. Do you remember when, I don't know if people remember Sesame Street, but we need words to yes. communicate, cooperate. And that when we grow up, we try to teach toddlers how to use words to get what they need but unfortunately our emotional brain as adults when we're emotional we don't use words we start to use very non-verbal cues and we just get emotional so now to part three of Daniel Goldman's being aware of social relationships okay I think this is one of the hardest things to learn what are the rules in a social group outside your family? Because families set up their own dynamics and they're very implicit. And when you're a baby, things go into the implicit brain. They're non, not, not logical at all. Very much in the emotional brain is through feeling, um, learnt behaviours that are very implicit to the body and the brain. So the hardest thing is to learn the rules of a group outside the family. And once you go outside your family, things are not so clear. And that's why we need rules in society to get clear and explicit. Now, with coronavirus, some of those rules people don't like and mm -hmm. they're very vocal about it. Uh, so that's where we're getting some conflict now about managing our social relationships. But we need words to communicate with respect to manage that. If we do it from our emotional brain, we're just going to go into chaos, which we're starting to see. So your ability to understand social relationships relies on social intelligence. And this is how you pick up social cues. This is another part of Daniel Goleman's new work, social intelligence. It's not, he didn't coin that phrase. Social intelligence is a skill that's innate to humans and we're learning about it more and more through our bio biology and through body language through social cues that we create so most of us in our emotional brain work on the fear of not being accepted in the society in the tribe all of us have this fear so at some point we all have fear of being rejected and we all make up stories about that whether we're good enough we we're ashamed about how we are Right now in our society, we see people are extremely critical of others for expressing their opinion and they feel vindicated to criticise others. They, they think they're the ones that can say who's right, who's wrong. 
I have never seen more moral preaching. Like I thought the church that I grew up in was a bit preachy and telling people were right or wrong. But my church in Australia was pretty progressive, actually, and, and taught acceptance in a way I don't see in the society at the moment. <laughs> so I, I think people are more preachy and moralistic and criticising these days than I've seen before. In fact, I think the 70s were more liberal or more progressive than we are in this period now. Right now, it's quite scary for people to speak up and say, don't talk to me that way, or I don't agree with you. <laughs> so here, I want to go back to the toxic people, Patty, who want to drag everyone down with them. Part of what's toxic is this moralistic uh, way of talking, like that's not right, you're wrong. I think this, you can't criticise me because I'm right, I'm more liberal, I'm more moral than you. So some people are so coming from that fear of being rejected or not being accepted that they're more invested now in making other people wrong. And that's, that's because they actually fear themselves being rejected and they feel like they, if they make other people wrong, it gives them a sense of power in society. And it gives them a sense of identity and that they're vindicated, they're, they're elevated, they're right, they're better than others. And it gives them a sense of power. And people now, because of coronavirus, have lost that sense of safety. So they might feel safer if they have a sense of power. So sometimes what you think is a toxic person is <laughs> actually someone who doesn't really want a relationship with you. They're looking a way to vent their pent-up anger or frustration, a way to manage their fear and their hurt of maybe not being important. Maybe they, they feel hurt because they're not feeling in control. They're not recognised. Things that they thought once were accepted in the world are no longer accepted and they're no longer happening. So they don't feel in control. And then they become control freaks. They're more invested in being the boss, controlling others, and they're really not interested in having a relationship. And that's just the way some people are dealing with the coronavirus. People were always doing that in the past, but because of the coronavirus, people are becoming more invested in controlling others. So one way that I've used... Uh, to understand social relationships and it's not even understanding it's just sort of accepting social relationships is that most people are not able to know where their emotions are coming from they're very poor at managing their emotions <laughs> so Daniel Goleman's work is really good because he's teaching us that emotional intelligence is a skill and we don't we don't have it naturally we have to learn it and so that taught me not to expect people to be aware of their emotions or of why they do things. And I have developed a skill as an intuitive and a healer to feel the unspoken feelings that people have. And I sense those feelings beyond their words. So sometimes people are saying awful things, but I can feel that underneath they've got some other emotions going on. So, okay, they say horrible things. But what's really going on underneath for them? And that's where I can start to have empathy. And it gives me a barometer, a feeling for what's going on for people, where they're coming from, even though their words might be saying something else. And I don't expect people to control their emotions because there's a lot of change in the world happening and people are going crazy. So I can only hope and pray that they find a better way to 
manage their emotions, to release the emotions and to maybe heal some of the old stuff that could be causing them a lot of emotional anxiety or stress. This is going into step four about managing relationships. Daniel Goleman's fourth area was managing relationships. If you have a person who speaks to you in a way that's disrespectful or hurtful, now you have to manage the relationship. It becomes a choice for you. Do you speak up to the person and say, I don't want to be spoken to that way or risk some sort of engagement, which could be conflict or some other form of continued conversation, which maybe you don't want to do? (laughs) Or do you walk away and not speak up? So either way, you have a choice and that choice can be bringing up a lot of emotions for people at the moment because if you don't speak up, sometimes that feels more uncomfortable. For me, I use a lot of prayer because I'm pretty bad with conflict and I've noticed in my just in my head um, for any situation, I pray for it to resolve where everybody gets their needs met and that's been better for me than facing conflict head on. And sometimes I say something quite gentle to address what's being said so I get my needs met. And after I pray, sometimes miracles, more often miracles happen where the person has apologised or they try to be more cooperative, they do something nice for me, they actually change something so my needs get met. So speaking up can also be a simple request for a different way. And if the person responds negatively, that's when you have another choice to make another choice about how you will continue communication. Angela, can you share an example of the prayer for me and the listeners? Yes, certainly. So when I'm struggling, first I notice the struggle. Whatever that struggle is, doesn't matter. It's noise inside me. And I talk to God all the time like an imaginary friend. I've done that since I was a child. And I say something like, God, I can't handle this right now. Please show me how to see what's in the highest good. Other times I might say, God, I really want to leave by five o'clock. Please get me out of here easily. (laughs) 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 That's like if I want a tangible outcome. And if it's about speaking up, I might say, God, I really don't want to be here right now. Please give me the words that will be in the highest good. So I'm very honest that I'm not able to handle something. I'm just being honest about not feeling great about the situation. And I'm asking for a higher power to step in. And that higher power isn't anything mysterious. It's actually my prefrontal cortex, my higher brain function that can see better ways to speak to others, better solutions and suggestions. Humor, humor that can lighten things up, make people less adverse to each other and help people feel more relaxed, accepted and not judged. People who are aggressive can be impacted when you just accept that they're human. I can be really focused in my prayer like thanks God for getting me out of here by five o'clock but the idea is basically if I'm emotional and I see it's affecting the situation I just want to get out of the emotional energy so that emotional energy doesn't take over me or the other person and the situation doesn't cause harm 
if the situation gets emotional and out of ha hand, that will hurt people, including me and the, the area that I'm living in. So um, I wanted to refer to another resource, Patty. Uh, I just came across um, a conversation between the psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who has written a book called Noise. <laughs> Noise, I, I relate to the title because that's what it sounds like in my, in my head when I'm getting <laughs> emotional. And he was talking with my favourite philosopher, Yuval Harari, about the future of humanity. I've got the link in the show notes from that YouTube conversation. And between these two uh, two men, they were, they were sharing that humans are quite inefficient creatures. Humans constantly make decisions that are a choice between good and bad, and we make unwise, inefficient decisions. <laughs> we, we always have this struggle. Mm -hmm. We make a lot of noise internally, and usually the decisions are bad. Mm -hmm. And soon artificial intelligence and algorithms will replace us because they're going to make, they already make better decisions than us and they will replace us. And it's already happening. So algorithms are replacing human work activities. And this is already leading to a lot of people feeling useless. Humans feel like they have no purpose, no meaning. They're without work. <laughs> and struggling to find a way to live, let alone find purpose in life. So listening to them made me realise that in a similar way, I've always found people full of a lot of noise. We're full of past hurts. We've got stories about how things should be. We have beliefs that are based on those past hurts and stories. And somehow we're flawed and we've been victimized by something that happened or someone or this great force in the world on the on the internet it's called they they are doing this they are and like who's this and they? Who, who is they <laughs> who is they huh i keep on thinking i've missed out on something patty i'm like what did i miss out on who's they what's that and then they you know the other i'm not going to even say the words but these terms, they, and that, that's been around from Forever. the dark age. Yeah. Oh, my God. Before the dark ages. So, and ultimately, when you listen to Yuval and Daniel, they are saying people are not really able to make good choices because of all the stuff inside them. My teacher in India says the same thing. So when I contemplate that this gives me a lot more tolerance for people when they're crazy or they're unkind or they're emotional or they're suffering because we all have this chaos inside of us most of the time and we're not able to remove the emotional brain from humans that is part of our biology so compassion for that flawed nature of humanity is a good start to be able to look at people as essentially never able to be perfect so why are we running around judging people for being imperfect? That's exactly what we are. <laughs> and instead, we could look at ways to understand when we make emotional decisions, how to manage that with each other. Instead of blaming, how could we start just being honest 
about, oh, yeah, I made that decision based on an emotion and a story. And now that story has impacted others. So perhaps I could make a different decision based on what makes us get along. Yeah, you and react in the moment. And then, yeah. then you reflect back and realize, oh, I hurt this person. I hurt myself. Or whatever that ripple effect was. And I'm trying to remember, I think I was in a session with you, Patty, where I had an experience just like that. And I went, oh, and it's it's hard to explain that moment in the coaching session, but you just sort of have that awareness and you can't that change it. Moment. Yeah. yeah, you can't change it. It happened. But the awareness in the coaching, the awareness that you get, you're like, I'm going to do a different choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. We need the awareness. We don't need to blame people well we keep having that come up in our life until we learn from that lesson and change it right that's why it keeps coming back that's why it keeps coming back yeah until we finally have that aha moment and realize and then some people never have that aha moment yeah and we can accept that maybe they play a role in holding fixed emotional brain behavior so the rest of us can make different choices. They play a role too. They're important. Right. We might not love them and we might not enjoy them, but they play an important role to remind us of what behaviors do you want to be like that? I certainly have had many relationships that taught me <laughs> because they held stubbornly to a certain way of being. Um, the book Noise by Daniel uh, Kahneman, he's looking at how companies, corporations can make better decisions and stop errors, at, errors, mistakes at the company level that cost the company thousands of dollars. So now we can start to see Daniel Goleman, Daniel Kahneman, these people are looking at large groups corporations how can they make better decisions and that's got to be us as well we individuals can start looking at our own lives our relationships see where we make decisions that hurt others hurt ourselves and just be honest and look at another way to be in the relationship you know for me a more honest way of just saying I'm struggling I'm confused. I'm tired. <laughs> I do that a lot. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I'm scared. And then I ask for clarity or specific help to help me get clear to find a better way in that situation. That's how I do all of my prayers. And one thing I've noticed at a group a corporate level or government level in Australia, there is a bit more respect for different people from different countries, people with different abilities different backgrounds they may not have their physical body able they might have mental disabilities they may have mental health issue dementia you know our government has done a pretty good job at trying to accommodate for those different abilities and it's far from perfect <laughs> I think in Australia we've got a good sense of humor like yeah we're not we're not going to get it right, but we're going to try to do our best. And the best thing was what I could see from my cancer recovery 
was it wasn't just cancer that happened to people of English-speaking backgrounds, but people from who didn't speak English. Or how do you communicate to your partner whose physical body is fine, but they don't understand your body that's not fully abled? And I've had to communicate that, tiredness or fatigue. And that's one thing I'm learning in Australia, that they do have in their health services a lot of facilities to help people understand everybody has different abilities. How do we accommodate those people? How do we help each other? And if you can honour that we've all got different abilities and emotionally we're different, then we can start to help each other instead of seeing that person's not right, that person's wrong. Maybe we just have different abilities. In our podcast, Choosing Cultural Awareness Instead of Racism, episode 26 patty and i look at how to become aware of culture and cultural differences to engage with people and how that can be fun and exciting ways to explore our differences and find positive ways to manage emotions where typically there may have been that habit to not understand and make assumptions about people and in our next podcast we're looking at accepting responsibility for the choices in your you make in your relationships, the good, the bad, and the narcissist. I'm going to address narcissist <laughs> label. And when you see what choices you made in your relationships and you want to change your relationships, it starts with seeing what you can do besides criticising others. Patty, I have a question on creating habits that remove toxic influences like social media. How do you think social media has impacted the way we treat each other in the workplace? Watching and hearing negative news or what's posted on Facebook can have an impact on the workplace. If you are listening to the news or scrolling through social media and it makes you upset or anxious, that is going to be projected throughout how you interact with others and your productivity at work. If you are upset and angry inside, that will show outwardly towards others. You may get upset easily by what other people say to you when it is an innocent conversation. You may want to argue your point of view on a topic and not want to hear someone else's point of view. You'll be closed to other people's points of view or try to force your perspective on others. This can cause friction with your coworkers. You may focus on what is going on in the news instead of on your work tasks, which will cause your work performance to suffer. How do you remove toxic influences like social media? It's a matter of choice and what is important to you. Limit your exposure to the news and social media that triggers you. Spend less time in these activities if it is impacting you in a negative way, people may say something innocently and didn't realize it was offensive and it triggers the other person. If that happens and you know about it, apologize. 
I'm sorry I upset you. I didn't mean it in that way. Communicate. Communicate to save and build that relationship. That's great. Thanks, Patty. What are some strategies to help stay positive? Here's a few tips that I recommend. Walk away when drama is happening around you. Excuse yourself from the conversation. When there are unkind remarks about someone else, say something nice about that particular person. This action usually tends to halt the conversation. Plug in your headphones and listen to uplifting music when you're at your work desk or in the work environment. Recite positive affirmations. Journal about how you're feeling. Go for a quick walk and pray about the situation. Listen to uplifting podcasts, music, or recite those positive affirmations. Concentrate on your work tasks. Role model the person you want to be around. Create what you want in your life and remove the thoughts of what you don't. Set goals of how you are going to change the situation around you and put them into action. Hire a coach like Angela or I to help you succeed to get where you want to be. And for more tips on how to handle negative workplace environments, Patty also has a blog series on bad leadership styles <laughs> and we'll have the link in the show notes. Thank you, Angela. We would love to hear your ideas and what you are doing with managing negative emotions in your relationships, whether it's at home or at work. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, how about becoming a monthly supporter? Click on the support button in the Anchor app. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback. 